Welcome back to tonight's watch with Mark, Luke, and Tony. If this is your first time, this is how we do things. One of us chooses a movie each week. This week was my choice with Hush, the 2016 Mike Flanagan film, and I will give it a spoiler-filled synopsis. Then we will give all of our ratings for the movie and go into the in-depth analysis of the film before we tease next week's choice by giving hints. We are glad you were here, and if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing, or, you know, don't. We don't really care. I'm just kidding. Please do. So, without further ado, I will start with the film synopsis. A very successful deaf writer, Maddie, lives secluded in the woods and is having a rough night of writer's block and burning the fuck out of her din-din. Her next-door neighbor comes over and shows us that she is learning sign language, although it is not important since Maddie can read lips. This is a nice character trait that makes us like her neighbor, just for her just for her to get brutally slaughtered not five minutes later in the film. This is when we are introduced to our silly mass murderer of the movie who came straight from the bunker of 10 Cloverfield Lane. Upon figuring out that Maddie is deaf, our our antagonist known as The Man proves himself not to be The Man as he torments her instead of murdering her with dignity. The movie progresses with this concept until the cold-blooded killer realizes his realizes this deaf writer is the most badass woman this side of Timbuktu, and realizes he is completely fucked. Through using Matrix-like abilities and some pest spray, also a fire alarm that screams so loud it can only be compared to that of the X-Man Banshee, Maddie somehow survives and defeats this murderous goofball once and for all. So, what did you guys rate this film, or should I give mine first? Give yours first, and then Luke will go. Burned the fuck out of her din din. <laughs> she really did. That was that was crazy. Um, I gave this eight point three crooked ring fingers out of ten. I think it is a movie that doesn't try to be more than it is, as it is an hour twenty two short thriller film. But I think it does it very effectively, and you can turn this on at any point throughout the year and enjoy yourself. I gave this movie an 8.6 out of 10 i feel like it's a very unique horror film and i like slasher films and to see one that's done smart with a smart main character too with like cool filming and editing techniques i like it very much 8.6 out of 10 i give this movie Five point five. Oh out of 10. my! What? I'm the sorry. Fuck? You this give movie... the Phantom Menace higher than this movie. You gave Phantom <laughs> Menace higher than Hush. Think about what you're saying. Correct. Correct. And I'm oh. sticking to it. Oh, this movie, gosh. to me, <laughs> in this setting, is a little bit better than average. I thought there was a lot of cool like suspenseful like emotional parts which raises it above average and then just some straight up silly silly points that bring it down i'm gonna hold my breath and respect your rating until we get into the analysis of it okay i will 
with all my might, try to respect you. Um, Happy birthday, Mark. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, except this is going to come out this is going to come out three weeks late, so no one's going to know what you're talking about. But Yeah, this yep. is going to come out many, many weeks past your birthday. But thank you anyway. And before we get into the analysis, we have everyone's favorite segment. Did Tony fall asleep? I'll tell you what. This has been the closest I have been. I but for I Phantom then is you disgust me. This is actually I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I respect you. Respect. All about respect at tonight's watch. <laughs> right. So before we get straight into the analysis, I wanted to talk about the director of this film because he is my third favorite director. He is Mike Flanagan, the director of of course this movie Hush, Oculus, Ouija 2, Before I Wake, Gerald's Game and Dr. Sleep. Most people will know him as the creator and director of the first season of Haunting of Hill House. And so maybe that has something to do with a little bit of a bias I have towards him, but I feel like I started liking him so much because of this movie. And then after watching this movie, I think this is the first one I watched from him. And then continuing on and watching, um, Gerald's Game and Ouija 2 and Oculus and, of course, Hill House. He just became my favorite director, but I think it started the foundation with this movie and because I think it's so solid. I would like to agree with your point of view. Um, Mike Flanagan is my third or fourth favorite director, definitely my favorite horror movie director. And I, I liked him. I think the first movie I ever saw of his was this movie, and I liked it a lot. This is my second favorite Mike Flanagan movie after Doctor Sleep. I think they're very good. I'd probably You know what that. I will say is when you first watched this movie, or at least when I first watched this movie, I thought it was good. And then you watch it a second time with a critical eye, and you're kind of like, eh. I almost had the opposite effect, that now that I was analyzing it, I realized what it did so well. And I think it was, like I mentioned before, that... It didn't try to be more than it was. It knows it's a short thriller movie and gets straight into it. And that was actually my first point of discussion for the analysis was that it, the title pops up immediately when you press play, essentially, and gets you like straight into it. And I think that kind of goes with the tone of the movie of not like you have exposition, but you kind of just get into it and then you're in for the ride the entire time. It never really slows down after it starts. Well, this wasn't a big budget movie, was it? No, I think it was at Sundance or some kind of. Um, I thought I festival. heard about it from uh, Sundance. Yeah, I'm, it was. I think it was before, or some, or maybe it was Cannes, but it was one of the film festivals before Netflix picked it up. I also like how the production intros have no sound, and when the title comes on, it's this <laughs> loud bang. <laughs> it's a small thing, but I like how that's how it's introduced because she's deaf. Yeah, it's kind of like a complete contrast to her that we get introduced with right after, who is Kate Siegel, who I love as an actress and is actually married to the director, Mike Flanagan. So she is also in Haunting of Hill House, which he created, and I think she does a great job in this movie. And if you didn't know her before and didn't see her talking to herself in her head at the end of the movie... You could probably think this was a deaf person you were watching. I thought she did an amazing job at it. I think I, her acting yeah. by itself could probably raise my score another half a point because she was the lone bright spot in this movie. That 
uh, lone bright spot. <laughs> um, I like how there are minimal characters. They only needed who they needed, and it's basically a bottle movie. That's what it is, and I like. But isn't that. every indie movie kind of a bottle movie? Uh, yes, but this one was. More I guess you could do it. In I different feel like places. this one doesn't do it as well as Cloverfield Lane, though. I would probably agree and give Cloverfield Lane a higher rating. But I would Cloverfield too. Lane is a higher budget movie. Yeah. So, and back to Kate Siegel, she really needed to carry the movie because she's like the one character other than um, the murderer that we meet later. But really, she's like the one thing in every single scene and she really needs to carry it. And I think she does that perfectly. I agree. There's, what, four characters total? Two of them are almost just complete throwaways, and then you're left with two, which one is Kate Siegel, and she does amazing, and then one is some other guy who doesn't do as well. You didn't like his acting? I did not. Really? Okay. Interesting. We'll, we'll okay. get to him in a little bit. Uh, and there was also a fifth character kind of tease, which was an ex-boyfriend of hers. Which, Craig. Yeah, Craig, which also reminded me a little bit of one of the pros we had was Soul with not mentioning an ex but understanding where it like what happened and you know that she wants to like reconnect but obviously things went wrong and i thought that was a pro in this movie that it doesn't have to explain everything to you outright with little things like that i feel like this though doesn't add to the story that much like in soul you can assume that joe gardner lost this woman because he wasn't living life fully and then from the end of the movie, we get that, oh, he is going to start living life fully. And then whatever comes from that comes from that. But this is kind of just like, hey, there's an ex named Craig. And that's all that like is ever really known. I so- actually think it adds to the movie because I feel like another like antagonist of the film is her desire to be alone because she can't feel like she connects with other people. So seeing her like not being able to talk with Craig kind of just adds to the fact that she she lives in a secluded part of the world and that's the reason any of this can happen anyway is because she doesn't feel like she can connect with people I, so i felt like it added to it i also agreed that i thought it added to it because she's only out there in the middle of nowhere and like she hangs up the phone as soon as she tries to call him because she's afraid of it and it's not like wanting to be independent she just wants to be alone out in the middle of nowhere and they kind of get into that later and when the friend asks if she wants to come over and she's like no i want to stay home so it's her just wanting to be alone and being afraid of being with someone that actually causes this entire plot so i agree with luke that it actually adds to it okay so i really liked how the movie started with her cooking and it started with a bunch of images of the food with the food really really loud you know and then it turns and pans to her ear and then it's completely silent all these loud noises that we were one like just hearing just go completely silent and i thought that was a good way to like introduce us to all these like little noises that we would hear as an audience um oops i hit my mic that we would hear and just normal to us and all these things that she can't hear and i thought that was just a unique way to start the movie i agree it really this is one of my pros it really helps you like understand her and we're like 
her mindset or like how she feels during the entire movie might be because she's deaf of course and none of us are deaf in this doing this podcast right now so we can't tell you how it feels but i'll tell you what mike flanagan did a great job of describing it through sound and visuals in the beginning part of the movie i agree and i also want to mention that he does his own editing too so like it's Which all is him. super unique no one really in the business does their own editing so yeah the fact yeah. that he does makes it makes all of his work seem like oh that's exactly how he wanted it which makes me like it even more part of the reason he's my top three directors same as me so she brings her laptop over to her charger um and you see a stack of stephen king books which i thought was kind of funny because mike flanagan has stated that stephen king is a big inspiration to him and then he ends up directing dr sleep which is the sequel to the shining um just last, um, like, a couple of years ago. So I thought it was kind of, like, a unique little thing that he put in, like, giving one of his inspirations credit. This is one of my hit picks that I was going to mention, is that you can see a Mr. Mercedes book very prominently, and uh, that book is very good. And it's about a killer who doesn't have a clear motive, so that's why he put it in there. And so I liked that. I'm glad you actually read, because then this you is... can give us that insight. This is yeah. where one of my nitpicks comes in, actually. So you see her, and she's on her laptop, right? And she's messaging her friend. She's using iMessage on her Mac. It starts to die. She switches to texting on her phone, and it's a green bubble for her texting Android. I didn't even notice that. This is this is why Tony's here, to hate on the movie and give to him just nitpicks. just spit on it. And, just spit yeah. on it, Tony. Why don't you? <laughs> um... I didn't even notice that. I so when I since I didn't notice it, I actually liked that she was going like from laptop to iPhone because I felt like it was a uh, realistic thing that someone would do. You know, like while you're cooking using the like laptop, I thought that was and then going to the phone once it died. I thought that was like something that you would never really see in a movie, and I like I liked it. But, but you see you it a lot in it, real life, right? It's something that you wouldn't see in movies, but something that happens in like real life all the time. Oh right? yeah. I, but I did not notice the green bubble, so I guess you're right, Tony. And, of course, later on in the movie, I think you see that she does have an iPhone or something. So, I, uh, Cause she doesn't she put it in her back pocket, too? Yeah, she, she does. Yeah, yeah, so. Unless, uh, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. You're right. But anyway, um, it is revealed that she is a writer, and she is working on her book, Midnight Mass, which... I don't know if you know this, Tony. That is, like, teased in ev almost every Mike Flanagan um, movie and show and stuff because his next thing project that he's working on is Midnight Mass. So it's, like, a big project for him that he's been setting up throughout, like, all of his movies up until this point. Through, like, Very multiple meta. years? <laughs> yeah, like, Hush came out in 2016 in Gerald's Game. Was What year was that, Luke? Oh, gosh. I want to say 2014. Seven? Oh, really? No, okay. no, you're right. It's 2017. Okay, it was later well, than 2017. Hush. So, like, at least five, because it's probably not going to come out until 2022. And back in 2016 and 2017, like, in Gerald's game, she's tied up to the bed, and a book on the shelf is Midnight Mass, which is this writer's book. And he's working on that project right now, which is basically the story that this character would have came up with, which I thought was just kind of a cool thing because... It makes me more excited for Midnight Mass for whenever it comes out because he's been setting it up for so long in his movies. 
Mm. I think it's just wild. So he's been setting it up for like five. It's 2021 right now. So he's been setting it up for more than five years. Yeah, exactly. Like, which I think is really cool because it could have just been like a throwaway thing that she wrote this book. But once you put it on a shelf in Gerald's game and then mention that you're going to make a show, it's obviously been an idea for a long time, which makes me really excited for it. So her friend comes over and we find out, like I mentioned in my synopsis, that her friend is trying to sign language. For no reason other than just to learn, because our main character, Maddie, can read lips, which I thought was a super cool character trait of the friend and makes you, like, relate to the friend and like her right away. Because she's just trying it to, like, connect with her deaf friend. I agree, but this is where something, like, falls short for me is she's not good at sign languaging, right? Or sign language. She's not good at signing. And so she doesn't know all these words and all these things. But she can understand Maddie completely fine, which I don't really understand. The only, like, word that she has trouble with is bitch. But other than that, she can fluently understand her. Is it something, like, she learned, like, what it looks like, but then has trouble remembering when she does it herself? See, Cause, yeah, I could... I'm not sure. I don't know sign language. I haven't tried to learn sign language. But, like... When you're learning other languages, it might be easier for you to hear it than speak it. But with sign language, it's seeing someone do hand motions and then you're also doing those hand motions. So it finds like I find it weird that she can like very fluently understand her, but then have such trouble signing it herself. I don't think that. Yeah, I don't know if she had like such trouble, though. Wasn't it just a few words she didn't know or was well, it... I meant like she only didn't know the word bitch when like looking oh. at her but yeah. when she was signing herself she like at one point she just gives up signing because she doesn't know how to sign the rest of those words and she's just speaking and maddie is reading her lips oh right so when i was in spanish class in college mm. i felt like i could understand way more than i could actually speak but i don't know if it's the same for sign language so like i understand your point but I don't know from firsthand experience if that's the same way for people who learn it or if it's just incorrect in the movie. I agree. I agree with that, right? But it's also like such a stark difference from her fluently understanding everything Maddie has to say and her like not being able to sign that great. Okay, sure. I could see that. Um, so she's talking with her friend and then we get a shot of the back of her book inside while they're talking, which gave some exposition to Maddie which was a hit pick for me until it actually turned into a nitpick later. So on the back of her book, we can read, if you like pay attention closely, that it's a like biography of Maddie and it says she got sick and became deaf at 13 because she had bacterial meningitis, right? Which I liked that it was kind of like subtly put in there, but then it becomes a nitpick later when the... Um, the neighbor's boyfriend comes by and explains this to the killer. And I'd rather it just be like kind of a subtle thing that's put in there that if you're paying attention, you know, because it's not really that important. But and then like if you read that she became deaf at 13, then, you know, she she's experienced it before, like being able to hear before. But I, th I liked it better when it was really, really subtle and didn't explain it outright, which they did later. So it kind of becomes a nitpick for me. I agree with that, actually. I agree wholeheartedly with that i think when it's just on the book cover and you read it it's something in passing that the viewer can like put in their brain and like have that knowledge for the rest of the movie 
and you kind of get this feeling of, oh, I paid attention to that, so I know what's going on in this. And then when you say it out loud to them later, it's like, yeah, I already know this. You're like, do you think I'm dumb? I just thought it was a hit pick all the way around because when he's talking to the man John is, because so it was a hit pick when it was on the back of the book because I liked the way of introducing it. But when he's talking to the man, it kind of, he only says it like really quick and it kind of shows that he knows Maddie that he is friends with her so it kind of to me like adds to his character more when he ends up getting stabbed in the neck you know (laughs) i almost dislike that interaction as a whole but when it's like something like that when it's like it's quick but this entire movie is quick and there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie so something like that really stands out even if it was just like in passing just because of the nature of the movie. I would agree that it kind of helped his character, like Luke said, but I'd still prefer to show his character in a different way and keep the subtleness of finding out how Maddie became deaf to, like, audience members who are just, like, really paying attention to the movie. And also, I I have a nitpick with the uh, interaction with the boyfriend later, but we can get into that when we actually get there. Um, so... There was just small details when she's talking to her uh, friend, which made me relate to Maddie more, I feel like, and understand her situation more, where she's talking about the fire alarm that goes off because she burnt her dinner, and she's talking about the vibrations, which, like, come back later, but it also just makes you relate to her more and understand her situation because it needs to be so loud that she can feel the vibrations, and I just thought that was, like, of course it comes back later, but it was kind of, like, a cool little detail that gave some exposition to her character yeah i liked seeing like the little things like how her um whenever her phone she gets a text message like a white light goes off so she can see it because she can't hear it just to see the little things that uh she has to have because she's deaf and then like you said ends up coming later and it's one of her strengths and i like that yeah, and with Mike Flanagan writing, directing, and editing it, you know he, like, did his research and thought about these little things that you might not think about, you know, a lot of filmmakers might not think about. And I think that I like the small little details that are like, oh, the fact that they thought about that makes me like about a little bit more. So then we, as she's talking to her friend, we find out that her voice in her head, she can hear her mom's voice because she became deaf at 13. So she doesn't know, like, have her child's voice. She has her mom's voice. So when we hear it later in the movie, it's actually what her mom would sound like. And I thought that was a cute little detail in the movie that was very, very interesting to think about. It wasn't her own voice. It was what her mom around that age would sound like. I agree. I like that her writer's brain is, like, overwhelming her with noise. And it actually comes back to one of my favorite scenes in the movie. But I like that her writer's brain is too much noise inside of her head. I think it's a nice, I like a contrast to what, because she's deaf, I like that. Is that actually Kate Siegel's, or like, is that not her voice? It is. It's just in the movie, it's implied it's her, the character's mom's voice. Oh, okay, okay. But it is, uh... Kate voice. See, I thought it would have been even like cooler if it wasn't Kate Siegel's voice, because like knowing what Kate Siegel sounds like, you're like, oh, that's just her talking to herself. But it was like, 
oh, I should not run out to there because it'll kill me. <laughs> that would be dope. Okay. I, I agree. I but agree. to be fair, Kate Siegel didn't really get big until after this movie because this was Mike Flanagan's second movie. Yeah, sure, sure. So sure. I, I kind of give it the benefit of the doubt. If Hill House, something like Hill House, where she's like very popular in came up before then i would like that a little bit more especially if it was an old lady voice like what you just did i think you could have voiced it can you do it again <laughs> give, give me the check mike flanagan i'll come do the adr for your movie um maddie decides not to go back to her friend's house and decides to sit in and write but then she still gets writer's block so then she's just walking around her house and i thought when i think she was starting to do the dishes her friend comes up and starts banging on the door behind her because she's getting shot at with a crossbow and getting brutally murdered. And I you know thought this was, yeah, you know, <laughs> typical Saturday night. But it was a super unique scene that you wouldn't really see in any other movie because, I mean, I don't, I can't recall a lot of movies with deaf characters, but making her deaf and her standing there right when her friend is getting murdered right behind her was super powerful and is really like the movie's kind of telling you it's not fucking around i liked that part a lot too and i liked that the arrow came from like off screen and it goes real fast like right into her shoulder (laughs) and it was brutal i i liked that see this is where this is the first part in this movie where i was like this entire movie could have just ended here and She's standing right there, and she's banging on the door, and we're like, she's deaf, so she's not going to hear it. But when you're slamming on a door like that, that entire house shakes. And it's like, if this realistically happened, the movie would end right there. And that's like where I start to get into my problems with this movie, where there's certain situations throughout the entire movie where you're like, oh, if this just happened, and like this like logically just happened, the movie would have been done already. Um, I was okay with it because, I mean, we're not deaf. I guess it probably would shake a little. Yeah, I guess you're right. But... Well, I mean, like, you're, like, slamming on this door and you're, like, boom, boom, boom. And, like, just, like, how houses are built. Like, it's a drywall house. There's studs. And then in between the studs, it's just empty, hollow drywall. So when you're slamming on a door like that, like, that section of the house is going to shake. And she's right there. Okay, I, I mean, think, I can understand that, but yeah, I don't it think it's that be, big of a deal for me. It's not that big of a deal for me, but I guess it could have been better if she was in another room completely. So then... I don't think it would have been be as powerful, though, with yeah. it, like standing right behind her and how fucked up it is. And this is when we're introduced to the murderer, who is currently wearing somewhat of a Jabberwocky mask, as he, like, stabs her, like, 15 times or something like that. So we kind of immediately get, like, invested into, like, or not invested, but introduced to this character who obviously is completely brutal and has no regard to human life. And, of course, he's a murderer, but, like, the fact that he's stabbing her so much, you're like, okay, this guy is, like, not fucking around. Yeah, that part where he just, like, stabs her slowly, and the camera's just still on Sarah dying is a really brutal death scene. What did you think about, please, Maddie, please see me? I thought that was I thought it was good. good. I thought it was powerful. Did you not like it? You didn't like it? I didn't like it. 
Why? I didn't like how uh, it was delivered, I should say. It kind of gave really? me like that cheesy vibe. It's like, oh, uh, yeah. like It's like <laughs> another reminder. Hey, just in case you guys didn't know, she's deaf. I, um, I get what you mean, but I think you're being yeah. But I think, you know. You're I will say stupid. hater. <laughs> just, I, I'll I'm say kidding. It. I respect <laughs> your opinion. Um, I respect your opinion, even though it's wrong. So um, I like that when she goes back to her laptop, she's sitting there, right? And then she calls her sister. Who is named? Was it Squish because she is squash or something like that? Um, which had no something. effect on me. I was thought it was really <laughs> cheesy, but it was fine. But you know, um, I didn't really have any thoughts on the phone call, but I had thoughts afterwards when the door, like when she started getting the pictures of herself, because I thought it was it was kind of a cliche thing, but I thought it did it really effective because when the pictures taking of her currently. The door is still open. She walks over to it, and he's just standing there, which is completely yeah. the opposite of the cliche of like, oh, someone's taking a picture of me. Where are they? And then they're gone. So I like that he's just standing there. Yeah, yes. I like how the atmosphere is placed throughout the movie, like of how the killer, like like the atmosphere he creates with like sending her photos and being like really creepy, but he's like always there, you know? And it adds like the suspense to the movie really well. But nitpick, did she not have a password on her phone? Hey, I can't remember actually. Did she type it in earlier? I cannot remember. In my my problem it... is if she doesn't have a password, why doesn't she have a password? Well, because she and if she out there, does so have I a would... password, if she does have a password, then like, uh. How can you send her photos? <laughs> I can see why not having one, though. Because the only person she ever sees is her friend. That's what I was going to say. But like, you still have understand. to, like, buy groceries. Like, where is she getting this lamb from? Where is she getting all this food from? It's like, the chances... What are the chances of not having a password nowadays? Like, well, out of everyone yeah. you know, who doesn't have a password? Because I know... you know is deaf, a deaf writer living secluded in the woods? <laughs> Also named Kate Siegel. Also named Kate, yeah. <laughs> also named Kate Siegel. And especially with things like Touch ID and Face ID, that's like so easy to have to unlock your phone. Why wouldn't you have it to unlock your phone? I will say that when this came out, I don't think Face ID was a thing yet, right? In 2016? Yeah, I don't think so. Because I know when my mom first got a phone, right? I don't think she had a passcode on it. And then I think later on she did. Yeah, maybe it's just like an older person thing. Like, maybe we're not the generation, but they, like, just... Since she's out by herself, she doesn't feel the need for it, even though we know for a fact. But I feel like we're thinking too much of it, and, like, Tony's probably right with the nitpick, you know? I mean, we can justify it all we want, but she probably should have a passcode on it. I think this is where... This is, like, the part where, like, if you're just watching this movie for fun, I think it's a good movie. But if, like, you're trying to, like take it seriously and analyze everything then it starts to like deteriorate a little bit and you could like pretend that you've never seen another movie before that doesn't do these things well right you could pretend like you have no past experience of watching movies that do these things well and don't have these little things that like pull you out of the world 
but you have like you're just a you're a normal person you've seen these movies that have done this well so when you watch this like these constant little things tug at the story in a certain way that like take you out of the movie so i would contrast that by saying that um the cliche stuff you're you're right but it definitely tries to break certain cliches by being different um and that's my favorite part about this movie is that it's basically just a thriller slasher movie that kind of breaks my expectations of what you would get because I didn't know who Mike Flanagan was when I watched this movie and I thought it was gonna be another cheesy you know cheesy movie with some guy who just tried to kill her and I thought it did a very good job at breaking certain tropes so like what I was saying with him just standing there like just wanting to kill her and wanting to taunt her instead of her looking over there and then not knowing where he is he's looking at her like right in the face which I really liked because that leads into this like the main plot of the movie is he can get in at any time, but he just wants to taunt her, which is fucking sadistic. It reminded me of the original Halloween, and that and Psycho are my favorite horror movies. And I so and I've I've seen many Friday the Thirteenth, so <laughs> to see a slasher movie done right like that, I liked. Which later on it's different because he takes off the mask because he's so confident he's just gonna kill her it's that's actually my favorite part of the movie me too it's different than like every other horror movie yeah yeah so the scene we're talking about is when maddie grabs her lipstick and a flashlight to show her message that she writes on the glass door that reads won't tell didn't see face and then the killer walks up to it and takes off his mask to taunt her and be like no, you're going to see my face because I'm going to fucking kill you, which completely changes what I thought this movie was going to be. You know, you see the mask on the thumbnail and the little preview picture that Netflix shows you, and you think it's just like this mask killer, you know, this cliche mask killer that um, so many movies do, and then you realize that it's just another human being, which is so much scarier to me. I think this is where, like, the... If you're rating it on a thriller scale, like say of like only a scale of one to ten for thriller movies, this is what like Mike Flanagan does really well with this movie and where it would be rated high. But you're I, saying you don't yeah. like it compared to like the grand scheme of movies you give it. To the grand for. scheme of all movies. So I, I remind kind of like what it did, I think it did well and what it tried to do did extremely effectively. And I think a movie that gives me this much joy and, like, or I, I wouldn't say joy because it was a murder, but, like, I have a lot of fun watching this movie. And I think it does exactly what it wants to do in a short amount of time. It doesn't really mess around. So I think it does it effectively. But I understand at least the points you're bringing up so far about why you didn't like it so much. I think this next point is one thing I don't like about it. So we see that she sees him. And then she goes, runs, locks the door. And then he, like, he really takes his time walking around the house, like, trying the different areas. And she's running and locking these doors, right? And, like, he's doing this because, of course, he's, like, sadistic and he could, like, go in anytime he wants. So he doesn't have to rush to each door to try to break in. But during this entire time, like, 
she runs she rushes locks the door and then she like backs off and then she's just like watching him as he walks around slowly and then he oh he's going to the other door she runs to the other door closes it and then she backs off and she's watching him go to another like try a different spot and this entire time she could have called 911 like all you have to do is 911 call and then you don't even have to say anything you don't have to do anything and the police are gonna show up because you called them so is this was this before she uh tried the 911 and all of her power was out and everything this was before that right Bef- so so was it she before locks- he did it or was it before it revealed it so she's like she's going around trying all the doors and she has all this time to just press 911 and call it because even then just then the police are gonna come so like what two seconds and then so she locks all the doors and then she like notices him going around and then she tries her laptop and then he cuts the power let me let me ask I, you a question though, Tony. Yeah. If a mass killer is walking around to your doors, would you? The first thing I first... would do. The first thing I would do was grab my phone. Okay, that is well, legit. The first the thing I see someone. Okay. I see someone. Nine one one. Okay, you grab the phone, right? Right. So. Well, in her case, it would be the laptop. It was the laptop, right? Getting onto the laptop and opening it up and everything. If he wants to get in there and kill you, he'll get in there and kill you quicker than you can call it. So I, I actually say, understand her, like, I would actually understand her point to go yeah. get everything locked up and then call him. But she, my problem, my problem is she's not running and getting everything locked up, like, straight away, boom, 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 locked up. It's like, boom, locked up, sit back. What is he doing? Watching him, walking around. Oh, there, okay, run, boom, lock. And then it's like, okay, what is he doing? Oh, now he's walking over there. Boom, run, 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 lock. But then come back and then try 911. You got to understand I, her sense of panic, though. Yeah, I'll say that, like, you're in this situation where some dude's, like, gonna kill you. I I wouldn't think immediately it'd be, like, run, lock, lock, lock. It'd be, like, take a breath and, like, because you have shock, like, happening. Cause I, and think about what you need to lock next. Right. And I also understand locking the doors before calling 911 because the guy could just slit your throat while you're... I, th- I think it's a lot easier to nitpick but. as an audience member, but being in this situation, I actually thought that she did a fair job at being like a decently smart movie character in this I scene. Think with going to things, lock the yeah. doors and then trying to call once she was locked inside, but then it was just inconvenient to her that he had cut the power. So I actually liked See, this scene. Even I would be fine with that. I would be fine with that completely if everything had more urgency to it. Because we see him, and he's just walking at a slow pace, and we see her, and she's taking her time. Like, just like in your house, you know which are like which doors are exterior doors and which need to be locked. And to, I like, don't... lock one and then wait for him to, like, display that he's going to the next one to lock that one just seems silly. I don't think she took her time, though. I think it was like she locked, took a deep breath. She, like she saw him and then went to go I lock another door tony's just saying that like that deep breath could have been time enough to lock everything and then call but it i, I think see. it also was I just see. a movie thing where like it was building the suspense so i understand where you're coming from tony but i thought it yeah. built the suspense pretty well so um i will respect your opinion but disagree with you so we um the killer brings maddie's friend around to the back door or, like, the back of the house, and starts knocking with the friend's hand on the window, which just shows his total disregard for, like, everything. When it's, like, knocking on the window, and 
could she feel the oh no she shot the she didn't feel it she saw the shadow of it and um then she sees her friend and he's just knocking with her hand which is like which was fucking creepy to me because could you imagine if like all right tony could you imagine if luke got murdered and then this killer was just holding luke's hand and just like knocking on the window it'd be pretty fucking horrifying i like that scene i liked that scene a lot whoa just because i mentioned luke about it yeah you mentioned luke being dead and i liked that scene a lot i see i see (laughs) oh and i i want to bring it back to um once the killer takes off his mask we're introduced to John Gallagher Jr. Is that his name, Luke? Yes, Gallagher? it is. And I liked his performance in this movie. And Tony, you didn't, so I want to hear your thoughts. I felt like his acting was fine. It was uh, the acting in this movie. When you put it next to Kate Siegel, I feel like it's hard for like any actor to do really well. But all of them kind of seemed off like they weren't like really great actors that like complement the movie really well i would agree with the neighbor's boyfriend not being the best actor but i really liked john gallagher jr and i think he especially shines in that scene with the boyfriend later because he like talks like a pretty normal guy and i think he, he plays it off pretty well but also plays the sadistic fuck pretty well so i liked him and i don't know i just disagree on that one I, I liked his acting too. I, again, it was so different because he, so he talks, but there's not a lot of dialogue in the movie. But I like that he just kind of talks to himself and kind of looks at her like an animal, kind of. Like he'll look in through the window and just kind of talk to himself. Like I like that. Um, and I, I liked his acting. What I, like I feel is, like he okay. had a lot of cheesy one-liners. Like, he'd say something and be like, oh my gosh, okay. Like what? Uh, I'd have to find an example. Oh, <laughs> when she's trying to reload the crossbow bolt and he just says to himself, not so easy, is it? No, okay. I see. I like that line, actually, though, because he kind of delivers it like, not so easy, huh? Like, he's kind of, he like, gained a little bit of respect for her i feel like when she was able to escape from him and then i don't know just to kind of uh see her struggling with the crossbow and then him being like not so easy huh it i don't know i i liked it because i couldn't really tell it, it just seemed more sadistic to me i guess i think i think before then is the, like area number two where this whole movie could have ended she has a hammer, right? And she, like, stabs him in the arm with, like, the nail-removing side. And it's like, ah, my arm. But, like, if she had just knocked him in the head really good, he's out like a light. How could he have I don't think she could have reached him. I don't think she could have yeah. reached his head. By the way she swung it, her arm was pretty extended when she swung and she hit him in the arm. But, yeah. Um, I think, I think the, like, scene, that scene was, like, cut really fast. I think it was on purpose to, like, make it, like, I thought, I felt like the, this sounds weird, it seemed like I felt the impact of the hammer getting hit into him because of the way they cut it. I thought it was edited really well, actually. I don't know, it gave me that feeling that a movie's supposed to when something like that happens, like, oh shit, he got fucked up, and it was like his arm. So I actually liked the way they did it. So, rewatching the scene, 
he's trying to open this window and the hammer's on the floor and she's trying to close the window and he's trying to open it at the same time. So they're struggling. And then she just lets go so he can open the window, right? She g- turns around, grabs the hammer and then swings it at his arm. But in that like second, like where she swings it, he's completely vulnerable because both his hands are up, pushing the window up and he's just sitting there, hands up, face right in the middle. And then she swings it at his arm. Didn't I, I she see just what... kind of swing it though? I see where the like, nitpick comes. Yeah. Like, I understand, but I also like what Luke is saying. Like, she just kind of swung it and I think hit his arm because she went quick at it. I, I understand both perspectives. I, not thinking about it too much and not nitpicking it too much, I thought it was an effective scene for, like, how much it would have hurt him. But, um, do you have anything else to say about that, John? I have something about this before is he slashes her tires right which incapacitates her car and like in a story perspective takes the car out of the equation but she could still drive on slash tires to get away from him she doesn't know if he's parked anywhere close though and can catch up or anything like that like she's completely clueless about this guy and where he came from and what like he's doing there and I think that adds to the movie and also makes her question what she can do to like get out of there. See, I would have liked that if she has this writer brain, she thinks of like different possibilities and different endings if that was shown through the movie. Okay, that's fair. Like at the end, like when she's yeah. going through all the possibilities, if that showed up, like that yeah. possibility and was like, oh, I can't do this because of this. Like he might Correct. have a car or something like that. Yes. Um, and that actually leads me to my next point was she um goes outside at some point right and to go hide she went and hid underneath the porch and i really liked every time she went outside because there's just such an increased amount of anxiety not only because he's out there but she can't hear how loud she's being so she doesn't know how loud she is compared to how loud like he can hear so she didn't know where he is or how loud she is. And I think it adds that extra anxiety because it's not like, oh, no, I'm making too much noise. I need to be quieter. She doesn't even know how loud she's being. I agree. I liked the added anxiety of her going outside. The danger is ratcheted up like tenfold. And I think what the movie could have done to also have this feeling throughout the inside scenes is having the killer... I don't know, like maybe slowly showing that he's trying to get in or like, you know, he does, he can get in at any point he wants, but like having a timer so that she can't spend the entire time inside because how the movie is laid out, he really only does something when it's reactionary to her doing something. Otherwise, he's just like standing around or walking around like a dumbass. And if you added, but I feel like if you added a timer, like just like showing that he could like like slowly getting in then you get the audience stressing because she has to do something now so like if he grabbed her phone and put on a timer and is like i'm coming in at this time no i meant like maybe he like smashes one window right and they're like okay so that's like a point of entry that he can easily get into now and then a little bit later he does something else something that's showing that he's trying to get in but he doesn't want to yet I understand, I understand your point. That. I understand yeah. your point, but I like that he doesn't even try because it's like just to make her panic because she doesn't know when he's going to do anything. So the 
I think it would increase the anxiety of the movie if he broke a window or something like that, like you're talking about. But I also like that he's just taunting her so much that he won't even come in. He's just like, he's got her trapped in there. Won't even come in, but he's got her trapped. And I kind of like that aspect of it. See, I think that's fine. But like the way it's shot, like she's on top of her roof or something and she's like looking for him or like she's underneath her house and she's looking at him. If you like, they just make him walk around like really for no reason. And he's just like walking around, look around, not doing anything, blah, 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 blah. And it just like seems like he's an NPC. I I understand that. I liked it, but I also understand where you're coming from. And um, when, so when she's on the roof, like you were talking about, um, well, actually beforehand, she starts to run away after she's underneath the porch and he starts shooting at her with a crossbow. And I wanted to talk about the crossbow because I actually really liked that he had the crossbow because I thought it was super unique and something you never see in a slasher movie. Like, it's always the machete and they can get away, but now she's, like, afraid to even run away from the house because he could shoot her, which I thought was super unique. Yeah, and it's a weapon that she had trouble using later on, so it was, like, only he could use it. I liked that, and it was a crossbow. I both liked and disliked the crossbow. I liked the uniqueness of a crossbow, and it adds, like, an own element to, like, the slasher like uh genre right but what i didn't like is i think and this happens this will happen in any movie but when you have something to aim and something to shoot what you hit and what you don't all become part of the plot i think it was like they're all like plot devices boom shoots her in the leg and so that like makes it so that she can't like run really fast or walk really fast but then everything else he misses I think it's better in this movie, though, than others because it's a crossbow, which is, again, I've never shot a crossbow, (laughs) but I think it'd be, like, harder to aim than, like, a stormtrooper shooting a gun. So I think it's better in this one than other movies. She gets the crossbow. She finally gets it loaded. Boom. Only hits him in the shoulder. So it's, like, kind of this thing, and this will happen in, like, any movie, and, like, Star Wars is an example, of course, where it's, like... If you have something to aim and something to shoot, everything you don't hit and everything you hit can seem cheesy in the way that it happens just because, of course, it has to go along a certain way. But, like, say you have a machete or you have a knife, what you stab and what you don't stab, that, like, is really real. I will say, though, that every time the man missed her she was like running away or climbing on the roof and when she hit him in the shoulder he was just standing still yeah i i thought that was i thought they did it well and it all actually led me to my favorite shot in the movie where she basically matrix underneath the crossbow which i thought was a super fucking (laughs) badass shot and i don't like it for any other reason other than it's fucking badass see when you said the matrix i thought you were gonna go up to the different matrix part because there's two Matrix scenes. Give, give in this me movie. the other Matrix part. When he's breathing on her neck and mm, she yeah. dodges his knife. Well, that's why and I turns said around and stabs she uses him. Matrix-like abilities because in both of them. But I was talking about when she just like is on her knees on the roof and he shoots at her and she just like bangs her back straight into like straight into the roof. And I just thought that was a super cool scene that just like looked really really nice i feel like it was edited well too 
Yeah, I thought it was just a super effective I scene. I thought the editing was really nice right there, yeah. It's just one of those scenes that, like, you could just go back and watch because it just looks so nice. And it's, like, something with these slasher movies that you would... A lot of them, you don't have any shots like that. And just putting the extra effort to make it look really nice by editing it and shooting it a certain way... I, I don't know. It gives this movie more character and makes me like it more. But yeah, she also uses it a little bit later where she feels the breathing and barely misses the knife, which I also liked that scene. I also liked that scene the way it was. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. So she grabs the crossbow after, like, she has the um, his crossbow once he starts climbing up to the roof, right? She takes it from him, kicks him down, and then she has to go back into the window. And I thought it was a super suspenseful scene by making it one of those windows that wind up, which I've only seen at my grandparents' house. So I thought it was a scary. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought it was just kind of a small little thing that I wanted to put that it was kind of like a hit pick for me that she had to like wind it because it adds that extra sense of anxiety and pressure for her. See, I think I agree that like adds a lot of anxiety until maybe like right afterwards and then you start really wondering okay so he's like really close to getting inside the house is then is that when he wants to kill her it's like when does he want to kill her you don't really know so it's like really suspenseful she's closing the window and then you're like oh wait but he could just break the window and come in anyways like he can come in whenever he wants so like this anxiety of not letting him in the house is like well he could come in any time he wants to anyways but that's not the game to him because the game to him is her making a mistake and that's why he gets in so I like that because he won't break it because he wants to torment her and he wants her to fuck up. So once she fucks up, then that's when he kills her? Yeah, it's like then it's her own fault because he's not coming in until she allows him in. It's Which like I think vampire, is super baby. cool. I think it's super cool. I understand where you're coming from, Tony, where if he gets really mad that she has the crossbow, just break the window and get in. But... I think he just still wants to play his little sick game, which I thought was cool. And then if that's the case, why doesn't she just stay in there all the like all night? Because I think he she knows that if it becomes like around the morning time and he can't do it during the day, but she's also he probably could do it during the day because she's so secluded and she, he killed the only neighbor around. And then um and her boyfriend, which was the next part I was actually going to get to. But doesn't he come in? So isn't he like by the window when John comes? So it's like he got distracted by John then oh, breaking the window? That too, but I think he wasn't going to get in right there anyway to break in. Because Damn. we see later, Tony, that he ends up he ends up breaking in because like he's ready to do it. But I think in this beginning part... Well, he ends up breaking in because he's taunted to break in. Right, exactly. And... It, it's like the, the switching of the taunting, you know what I mean? And But it wasn't a part of his game earlier. So he's like, okay, whatever, I'm going to wait for her to make a mistake. But even if she waited until morning, I feel like he, they're so secluded, he could just fuck with her the entire time. And he had already shot her, so she's going to bleed out, so he knew that she was going to make a move. Yeah, I, I could see, because she was shot in the leg already, breaking in and killing her would just be easy. Yeah, too easy and for him. And ECPC. <laughs> when this neighbor's boyfriend comes over, I have a nitpick with him because after he sees the note on the door, shouldn't he suspect this guy immediately? 
A when guy he's without not any no uniform, uniform. Or anything. no is, police car. And this is another <laughs> like, part. What the fuck? Like that was my biggest flaw with this movie is this guy's an idiot. This is another part where it's like, okay, the movie could have ended right there. And it's really making this guy an idiot as a plot device. Cause he believes the killer is a cop when he's not in uniform. He has like neck tattoos and you see the doesn't note. have a car you see the note and he's by himself like what cop responds to something by himself and then stays there by himself without his car or anything like you usually have backup and then ask for your phone to use to call dispatch ask for your phone to call dispatch like you don't have a radio like you don't you always have a radio on you so he does yeah, yeah he doesn't ahead. ask where the police car is too yeah, and, this guy was an And idiot. he gets suspicious. He gets suspicious of this guy. And his thought isn't to tap 911 and just leave it in his back pocket, right? Because, again, call 911. They'll show up even if you don't say anything, especially if you don't say anything. But his thought is to grab a rock. Yeah, I was fine with him grabbing the rock, but... He... I'm sorry. He grabbed the rock, which I was, like, fine with if he would have dialed 911 already. That's what I'm saying, yeah, right? Like, because he asked for his phone back from him already. All you have to do is just like pretend like you're locking it and call 911 put it in your pocket, which would have well and I'm not going to say this was like the same thing as Maddie doing it because this character is already established to be a fucking idiot by not <laughs> suspecting this guy of being the killer. Um but I think it leads to a pretty cool part when the killer when the man just like puts the knife in his neck and pulls it out really quick, which I thought was a pretty cool shot. Me too. I thought that was a and really was nice scene. Off screen too, and then you just see the blood pour out. Boy, yeah, yeah, which yeah. was very different than any other movie. Um, so although I had a lot of problems with this scene and this character being a dum dum, I liked I liked how he died. Like I thought that that shot was super super unique and cool. I thought like this whole like setting up of as like, oh, you're a big guy, a jock. I only had a 2 in 10 chance of taking him in a fight anyways, but you have a knife. Like, I don't care how, like, big or small when, like, things like knives get introduced. I'm pretty sure anyone will tell you that you have a lot better than a 2 in 10 chance. And when he has him, like, in a full, like, headlock, in a full guillotine, and he's just choking him out, you only have to have someone in a guillotine for, like, 10 seconds, especially if you're, like... A strong big guy, and that guy's out. Tony would, knows a lot about guillotines. Would it be different? Though, I mean, if because... you know anything, I mean, if you like see anything about the MMA, like people <laughs> like getting locked in a full guillotine, people will tap in like five seconds. Do you think though that John wasn't using his full strength because he was stabbed in the neck? So like he's like losing, con- like. Bodily I also looked so. this up. I also looked this up, and it depends on where you get stabbed on the neck. But say if you got stabbed in an artery, you have one to three minutes to live. And so he gets stabbed by a full-on knife, and he's like, he's like, oh, choking this guy out. This guy should be knocked out in five to ten seconds. And then Maddie could just run outside, pick up the knife, blat, 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 and then kill the murderer. Which also leads into the end scene where she stabs him in the neck with a wine bottle opener, and he dies in, like, five seconds. And it's just so, like, weird and I like not... the, the comparison yeah. of the two, but you're right that he dies yeah. way quicker than John does. I will say, though, that the cork in the neck 
so he had like holes in both sides of his neck so it was like blood coming out of both that is true and is true. john's was just one but it was an entire knife well like also the way yeah. they like shot it that entire knife goes in his neck so there should have been two holes anyways was the, was but the he stabbed straight into his through? throat i think like yeah not not the way the corkscrew went into um his neck but um i see what you mean i, I mean like I just like how the big the knife is and how wide his neck is sure okay sure but i i i thought it was small enough to do it but i thought the <laughs> regardless i thought the scene looked really nice and was effective even if you can nitpick a couple of like technicalities here and there um and this went to uh Wait, wait, I retract my statement. He, like, barely pokes him in the neck with a knife. Yeah. Well, I think that was kind of the point of it, too, was to, like... Watch him bleed. Yeah, yeah. Not kill him right away. Because I don't kid... I don't know about that. I would agree with that, Luke, but I know... Like, if you just, like, you're, like, poke a little bit in the neck. Like, you just poke him in the neck a little bit with a knife, and then you want to watch him bleed. But then he, like, gives up this big fight, and you almost die anyways. And at the end of it, you said... Oh man, I only had a two in ten chance with a fight with him. Anyways, it's like the, throughout this entire conversation, he's like, "Oh, you big and strong, man. Oh, I only had a two in ten chance of fighting you. Why would he want to like poke him in the neck and well, then just like he, I try to fight him?" Two in ten thing is just like also taunting him, like where if he really wanted to, he could have stabbed him like a ton of times in the neck, but he only did once and then like waited because he wanted to see him bleed out and then taunts him by saying, "Oh, it was only a two in ten chance." He also didn't think he was going to guillotine him with a yeah. knife wound in the neck, I feel. Which was kind but, of him being an idiot because correct. he only stabbed him once. But correct. it also went to um, a pretty cool shot. I thought it was a little small thing of Maddie when she was like trying to cock the crossbow at the window. And it did that 90 degree turn with the yes. camera. And yes. I think it just shows like this small little scene and with other scenes. It shows that Mike Flanagan actually cares about making his movies look nice and be different than just another slasher movie. Because it's a slasher movie that looks like he put a lot of effort into it by like making certain shots look really nice. And I thought that was one of them. It seems like I see that in a lot of Mike Flanagan things. Is the camera tilting with the person's perspective? I think it's always effective, too. Yeah. Like I, I think he does it really well. And then... Um, I think this is where... She- she like uh plays out different scenarios yep, in that's her head what I was gonna go to and i really liked this right so you think that it's just happening in the movie and then boom turns out it's just a scenario in her head and i really liked how they visually show this throughout like these multiple scenes of her like trying to reenact these scenes and that they're like it's not working and she's gonna die so in a I lot of movies agree. fake like death fake out scenes are pretty cheesy but I think this one works really well, not only because it's her envisioning all these things, but also because this movie gives me the vibe that they could have just killed her right there and ended because of the way it's shot. So I thought it was a pr- like, although death fake out scenes can be cheesy, I think this one did it super well and then led into all the different scenarios that she's going through, which was one of my favorite parts. She also said there are too many endings, and that's the problem she has with her book. Yeah, it's a complete, like, comparison to her writing and her writing process where she has so many different 
ending and then comes up with the correct one which she couldn't for her book which was metaphorical and i thought was super cool yeah and you can hear like it's a small thing in her writer's brain when she's writing her book she's like oh you can't kill her off everyone would hate you and the conclusion she comes to later in the movie is kill him which is a small thing but again it connects to the beginning yeah it's the it connects to the beginning is metaphorical and is super effective i think Tony, any thoughts on that? I thought it was good. Oh, okay. Well, that's a first. Um, so, in horror movies, they usually have these people who make irrational decisions who don't think at all. And Friday I really, the Thirteenth. Yeah, any really any horror movie that like they don't think at all. And I like this scene that it just takes the time to just have her think, and then you hear her inner voice talk to herself, which was like her mom's voice, like we discussed earlier, and was like talking to herself which i thought was super cool and like a good moment of reflection for her to like slow it down a little bit get a different perspective and then start the climax of the movie of her trying to kill him i think that's really nice too like you get a in a horror movie you get someone thinking right and i think the problem with a lot of horror movies is nobody thinking but i feel like this is contrasted kind of by john not thinking right like, I feel like a good, like, a really good horror movie would have everybody thinking, like, the way a regular person would. Yeah, John is kind of a typical horror movie character in the way he thinks when Which, Maddie like, is the complete opposite. I think that takes me out of how good Maddie, like, uh, like how good of a character Maddie is. And, like, that's weird, but it's, like, you have Maddie being a really good character in a horror movie, and then, of course, you have to add some dumb character to it for, like, a plot device. It's like you had it so well showing how a good character could be and like how good a good character can react in the situation and think about it. And then you have some dumb character in it and it like takes away from how good the movie is. I would say that like it's kind of a nice contrast to show how good Maddie is. But in a movie like this, it would be nice to just see all the people act rationally because John is so stupid that it almost seems like he's dumber than some people in Friday the 13th with not suspecting him to be the killer sooner. So I feel like it's almost more extreme than horror movies sometimes. But of course, like at least he's just a, a, such a small character and he's not like a main character. And we have Maddie who is super smart and like actually just sits there and thinks to herself, which is nice. Yeah, I think all the good things about this movie really revolve around her. And I mean, like there's only four characters and she's like the main one. But, like, what they do with her really makes the movie good. Like, everything good around this movie, I think, revolves around her. And then when you, like, all these extremities, like, take away from it, though. I see where you come from with that. Yeah. Um. So, the man grabs her cat, which finally comes back. And um. he's gonna kill it. But then... Maddie shoots oh, the so crossbow, but at least Maddie saves the cat, you know? Fuck John, but save the cat. Correct. Um, <laughs> Truth. And um, this is where he starts coming after her. She drops the bow, starts reaching for it, and then he stomps her hand multiple times, which made my toes curl. Ay ay ay, puppy. <laughs> what I, is uh, it? Like, uh, what do you even call that? Like, the design of her mangled hand was really nice. It was, like, really good. Like, it was believable. The and her makeup, index finger was straight was. at a 90-degree yeah, like, angle. Was it costume and makeup, Yeah, I guess? Yeah, it is. But the fact that her 
uh, ring finger was at a right angle for the rest of the movie. And all the sound design they used in that scene was super effective in making you like, oh my god. You also, know? plus for Kate Siegel, because she can't make any noise while she's screaming, yeah, she's but you know too. the pain that she's in. Which I thought was super effective too. I thought her this was one of the like, but nothing best acting scenes. Oh, yeah. This is one of yeah. the, her best acting scenes right here. Yeah, the fact that she can't yell, but she's you could tell this person is screaming at the top of her lungs and nothing's coming out, made it even more effective with, like, such a brutal scene anyway. Um, and then I really like this next scene where she puts her finger in her wound and writes out, do it, coward, for him totally coming badass. across. Yes. The most bad, and, and this just goes back into Maddie being... One of the most badass characters there is. And I really like how this movie is just a short little thriller movie, which has, like, one of the most badass characters, like, that we've that you can see. She sticks her finger in her wound to call him a coward. You know, and then, like, like we said earlier, it's the contrast and the comparison to him where she's taunting him. So now he's breaking in when he was trying to taunt her to come out and run away the entire time. Which I thought worked really well. And then music starts playing. Oh my. Which, there's the no music, music really. <laughs> if there's music, it was super minimal before. And then the music pops off at this point. And we had never had it before, which made it even more effective. And it's a good score, too. Yeah, it's exactly. very good. And there's only really this one scene with it, which I thought, like, helped it. Especially with, like, such a quiet movie. And then he's breaking in, in, like, slow-mo, smashing the window. She's typing which I thought was super smart, typing his description, which was, like, yeah. something that most people wouldn't do, you know? Also, she typed in his description and that she loved her family in the last pages of her book, which is her ending of yeah. her book and her yeah. life. Super Very good. Super Very good, good metaphorical meanings going on here. And then, um, of course, she uses the fire alarm, which was, we learned earlier, was super loud. To defeat well, him. Well, before that, she like hides in her bathroom. Bathtub matrix. Oh, I baby. totally forgot about the bathtub matrix. <laughs> so, I thought that scene was super good because you wouldn't think that he would go around with the way he was breaking the window or the sliding glass door. That like he would definitely come in that way, right? So the fact that he came in through the window behind her, I thought was smart of him. But then feeling his breath is what saved her life, which was super cool. Yeah, and so, I like... Do you, you think that she could not feel the vibrations of glass, of the window breaking, glass falling in the bathtub, and him climbing into the bathtub behind her? At least she wasn't in the bathtub. If she was actually in the bathtub, I would agree with you. Yeah. Um, I see I was... what you mean, but the fact that she's sitting outside of it, I, I think I would give it the benefit of the doubt for it. I was going to say I like that shot because Maddie is in the foreground right and then you can just see like little sparks in the background and you're like oh what is that and then you see his foot come and it's just silent mm -hmm. and it's very good what i also liked is she didn't feel his breath when he was talking at her it was when he snickered like he went <sighs> at her because he was taunting her again and that's what got him like that's what fucked with him so i kind of like that it wasn't just his talking it was the little like scoff that he did at her that got him caught in that situation and let her flip her knife around in her hand, which again, Maddie's a badass, and then stab him in the leg. 
I feel like the way this like scene is shot is really nice. With like it's zoomed in on the back of her head, or the back of her neck, and then it's like, oh, she could feel she could feel the breath, and then like it zooms in her eyes, focusing, and then it's like a top down view of him like about to stab her, and she dodges it and turns around and stabs him in the leg. But like I felt like the motion of him stabbing just felt like so weird it was like very but like it looked so nice come on choreographed. Tony, you're just it was like, a hater. it was like very choreographed right you're just a hater wow like it was so if, cool <laughs> I, I feel like if you're stabbing someone in the neck you would like grab their head and then stab them right so that there's like no resistance so that Halloween there's like resistance style. to it yeah so yeah, there's baby. resistance to it or if you're just gonna like try to stab them you would just like stick your arm out like that and like barely go forward you'd be like bam and like you'd like after he misses he'd like fall over a little bit right sure but it looks so nice that you you know whatever right sure 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 (laughs) (laughs) and so she runs out to the front room and grabs the fire alarm that um of course has the irony and um that noise saves her life when she's deaf this entire time which I really liked, and the fact that she uses sound to her advantage to defeat her killer when she can't hear any of it was super powerful to me. I liked it. What I I actually did not like is the wasp spray. So there's this myth that goes around. It's like, oh, keep wasp spray in your car. Oh, keep wasp spray in your house. And if there's an intruder, you could spray him in the face with wasp spray. And you look up these videos on YouTube, and then it's like, oh, here's this guy getting sprayed in the face with wasp spray. And he's like, yeah, it's irritating. But it's like nothing like pepper spray. It's nothing like mace. It actually, I'm fine. It's just like gross. Hey, but if you still got something spread in your eye, you'd still back away a little bit like he did. But he was like, like, oh, my eyes, it's burning. Ah, And it's like, it's like red and irritating and stuff. And in what I've seen... Once someone gets sprayed in the face with wasp spray, what they kind just of YouTube stood, videos are you just, watching? Yeah, they just is... stood there and <laughs> took it. They just stood there and took it, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm fine." I actually looked this up because of this scene. Oh, wow, ah, okay. very good research. Right. I will respect you. Um, so, I like that um, he gets her on the ground, right? And he, she stabs him in the same place that the boyfriend got stabbed. And we talked about Tony's nitpicks with that earlier. But I like that it was the same place. I thought, you know, like that double meaning and the fact that it was the same, like it was a parallel with the boyfriend getting stabbed. And I I thought that was super cool that it was the same part of the neck. I also liked how while she's dying, flashes of her loved ones. um, That was one of my very strong hit picks was when chef's kiss was when because she can hear her own heartbeat. Because, like, that's, like, in your own body. So she's hearing her own heartbeat, and it's flashing with the memories of her life, which was super, super cool and unique, especially with her not being able to hear anything. And then all you can hear as her, like, perspective is her heartbeat with these things flashing. And that was super, super cool. You can also see I had that listed. In... I had that listed as cheesy but nice. Is in my prose, You're and cheesy. it's a hit pick. You're cheesy. Cheesy. Okay. I feel like it's cheesy because it's like this trope is like when you're about to die, memories of your past flash away. Well, that's and then, like, with this you movie. See... Go ahead. Sure. And then you hear like real accounts of like near-death experiences like, no, yeah, that doesn't happen. But this movie tries to take those tropes and 
turn a new spin on it. So even though it's a trope, I liked the effectiveness of the heartbeat with it. Which I think the point of this whole movie was to take these tropes and then spin something new to them, which I thought that scene also did. I, I also, it's like, eh. I mean, like, the spin on it is adding a heartbeat. It's like nothing that, like, takes that trope and, like, evolves it into something else. It's just, like, taking that trope and then you add something to it and you make it nicer, but it doesn't, like, flip the trope on its head or anything. I was going to say that uh, earlier in the movie, you can see the cork next to a picture of her and her friend, which is, like, foreshadowing. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even notice that. Very nice. Uh, very nice. Um, I but also yes, like that I it was the heartbeat. You points. But what I was also going to say is I thought it was super effective because the heartbeat that she could hear. Because you can hear your own heartbeat like when that's happening. And that fact that that also added to that moment made it not cheesy for me, and I thought it was good. But I understand where you're coming from. I thought it was good. I thought the scene was good. I still think it's cheesy, but it's good. Okay, that's cheesy. fair. That's fair. Good cheese. Good cheese. Yeah, it was it was Gouda. Um, so <laughs> then she goes and sits outside after she kills him, and the noise of the cop cars is coming. And I like that it fades out for the last couple seconds as she smiles because it's back to her perspective of just the lights flashing on her face, but you don't actually hear anything, which I liked. I agree. And she's sitting with her cat, and that's on the porch was where she was talking with Sarah about her cat. So it kind of That's how the movie started, was kind of looking for bitch anyway, and then she had her, just a lot of shit went down before they got The cat at the end gave this movie an extra .25 for me. Uh, next, so it was a five point two five before the cat. True, you're a monster. Well. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys have any last hit picks or nitpicks with the movie, Tony? I'm sure you do. Um, no, I think I got my nitpicks and my hit picks out of the way. I oh, have, oh no, uh, no! On. One of the one of my biggest nitpicks that we just completely glossed over was that she didn't have John and Sarah's Wi-Fi password. And she's been over to their house before. Like, that's been established. Hey, not everyone is on their phone all the time at people's houses, Tony. Maybe she didn't pull out Yaw. her phone. God, but that's Yaw. like, oh, that's such a, like, oh, John and, John and Sarah have a Wi-Fi password, and she doesn't have it. And, like, but maybe she the hasn't same, been there the for same so reasoning, long. The same reasoning that you could have for her not having a password would also apply to, like, the neighbor's Wi-Fi. I will say... That I don't have the Wi-Fi passwords for my friend's house. Because so, because Luke, unlike Tony, likes to me. actually spend time with them. But no, no, I no, like that's face-to-face Luke, conversation. <laughs> that's because they hate you. Oh, Sarah and John liked Maddie. Okay. Sarah and John liked Maddie. Unless they hated her low, secretly. Low, they, low they hated her secretly and wouldn't That's why John acted password. like an idiot the whole time. Yeah, he wanted Maddie <laughs> to die because he didn't give her a password. Um, anything else in Picture <laughs> Luke? I, I was going to say a hit pick is that I like that the killer doesn't have a name or a background or a motive. Yeah, it's Very like the much body Michael Myers. Michael Myers, but it's yeah. way more personal than Michael Myers because they break the mask trope, which was my favorite, which is like one of my favorite parts of the movie. I agree. I agree. Is that everyone's thoughts on it? I don't think I have anything else. Um, solid 8.3 for me tony has not changed my mind at all i think he's a little crybaby but i am i respect him respect i think i think the problem you have with these movies okay so the problem you have with these movies is like it's set in a realistic setting and you're so just like but you're supposed to just believe everything that happens 
is my problem with a lot of these. Whereas in something like Halloween, Michael Myers, this is like a, almost a supernatural entity, like almost, right? So like anything that happens is just like, oh yeah, that could happen, like whatever. But like this is like a super realistic setting. It tries to pull you in to this like deep setting that's supposed to be real. And then there's just so many things that don't happen that's like not realistic. I disagree, I, but I respect yeah. you. So, uh, it, it was an eight point three, eight point six, and five point five from us. So, um, <laughs> wait, I have another hit oh, that I, I forgot ooh, to mention. Okay, ooh, I also it, have it. something after yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, I also have it, something after it, you. It's a chef's kiss because Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel wrote it together, and they I didn't said even know she helped write it. That's fucking awesome. They came up with it on a date before they got married. The plot. Oh, of the and movie. then they got married, and then she starred in it. That's fucking cool. Yeah, hit pick. Okay, go on, Tony. A minute and a half of her watching him walk around the house before she tried dialing 911. Did you time that while we were recording? True. A minute and a half. Luke said, I don't think there was enough time. (laughs) A minute and a half of her just staring at him slowly walk around the house. Okay. I don't know about you, but a minute and a half. I can take two seconds out of that to dial 911. Well, if Tony's done bitching, we can go to the hints. I'm just kidding. I respect you. I respect you. Oh, yeah. I think you guys are just I respect your rating. Mike Flanagan over here. Oh, no, no, no. Because this is what got me into Mike Flanagan in the first place. So, Luke, you want to go on with the hints for the next movie? Hint number one. Okay, okay. Tony, you can guess first, and then I'll go after you. Okay. Geology. Indiana Jones. No. Jurassic Park. No. Good guesses. <laughs> um, hit number two. Brian. Uh, Family Guy. <laughs> no. The movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the movie. <laughs> Brian and geology. Cars. No. Darn. Hit number three. Transport. Homeward Bound. <laughs> No. Planes, trains, and automobiles. No. Hit number four. Spinoff. Snowpiercer. (laughs) No. (laughs) Why was that one so funny? It's not a (laughs) spinoff. There's a TV show that's... Oh, okay, okay. That... (laughs) so obscure. (laughs) Okay, the National Lampoon Eddie Vacation. (laughs) (laughs) No. Because Nettie's been off. Like, fuck. Like, like, good guess. Okay. Hint number five. Fate. Brave. <laughs> no. I'll be shooting for my I, own I, hand. I, I got it. I got it. I got <laughs> it. It's a Fast and Furious movie. Okay. Ooh, it is. Oh, no. Is it? Okay. Is it? Wait, the train. The, the one with the train. F- Wait, the geology. One? No, not the one with the train. The, the Fast and the Furious. The first one. No. Ooh. Um, like, very, uh, you're close. Okay, so I guess Tony gets one more guess and then I get one after you give the next Which clue. one's the one where they're on no, the ice? No, no, I already have five hints. Oh, that's it's not five. the one with the ice. It's not the one with the ice. Oh. Wait, if you said fate, then is, is it just fate of the fear? Oh, wait, that's the ice one. Um, no, but this is a this was a hint to make you lead to the Fast and Furious movies. Tokyo Drift. No. Fuck. Too Fast, Too Furious? No, okay, 
I'll say it. Oh, the fourth <laughs> one. It's the fourth one. Not, we all not know the it. fourth one. The fifth, seventh the one. Fifth You're one. close. Think of spinoff. Think of spinoff. Hobbs, oh, Hobbs and Shaw. Shaw. Yes. Oh, Hobbs and Shaw. Are you fucking Hobbs kidding me? I'm picking Shaw. If you're picking Hobbs and Shaw, I'm picking the worst fucking movie next time. Hobbs I'm and Shaw. Me? I would like to explain no, my hints. I like yes, to explain thanks. my hints. Finally, a good the, movie. Geology is a rock. I understand The study of rocks. I get it. Brian Shaw. Is a relief pitcher. See, see actually, see, I thought Brian you meant led Brian me the to... dog from Family Guy. No, see, <laughs> Brian led me to Fast and Furious because of Brian um, was the character in the Fast and Furious oh, yeah. franchise. See? So it, it actually led me ways. to it, but not the same reason. See, why. it led me to Homeward Bound because <laughs> Brian like is a dog from Family Guy, so they're dogs and geology. They're going through different settings. To go I think back we should home. watch Homeward Bound instead. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Transport, Jason Statham. Star oh, of the Transporter movies, and then spinoff is that, and then Fate is. I wanted you to get to Fate. So of the you yeah, Fate, Transport. Fate I thought me. of trains for some reason. That's well, why that's why when well, he said Fate Transport, I said trains, planes, and automobiles, Tony, because that's exactly what I thought. Um, it, you can see it on HBO Max. <laughs> oh yes, how how long is it? Oh, Do you know? God. Oh, I know how long it is. Let's hear it. Two hours and seventeen minutes, oh, baby. Oh <laughs> man. I don't no. think Tony's going to watch it by Tuesday. Tony, you have to watch it by Tuesday. I need time to edit. Okay, well. No, I'm going to fall asleep during it. Well, that'll be our first segment, so we'll find that out next week. If I'm going to watch spark along, note it. I'm going to spark, spark note it. Spark My goodness. If you want to watch it long, I don't know why you would, but if you want to, you can watch it on HBO Max. We have also created our social media pages. You can follow Tonight's Watch Facebook page, our Twitter at tonight underscore watch or our instagram at tonight's watch podcast all one word thank you again for listening and luke roll us out and that was tonight's watch oh good one good one goodbye goodbye <laughs> goodbye you Ow. enjoyed watching phantom menace more than you wa- enjoyed watching hush is that what you just said yeah it, i watched phantom menace through normal speed and i enjoyed every second of it during hush Ow. It's, okay. I, it's an hour up, 22 versus 215. Are you fucking I crazy? Up, I sped it up to 1.5x speed. You're fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this is not 2001 A Space Odyssey, okay? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs>